Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So, Jeff, we're at this big fancy dinner. Yes. We're stepping out together. Yeah. This is, this is like, uh, you know, it's like when a sort of movie star kind of, you know, kind of... I know what you're it, saying. When it becomes official, you know I mean, what I mean? You're seeing yourself as Julia Roberts in Notting Hill with me in the Hugh Grant role. And the music is striking up at just the right moment. And your eyes are twinkling. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen you looking so lovely as you do tonight. I mean, do you, think, do you think we'll end up on sort of page six of the New York Post as a result of stepping out? Maybe the Reykjavik Post. No, the Reykjavik Post, the grapevine. Yes. Hello. Hello. So what on earth was that we were just listening to? Well, that was our sort of romantic, you know, Valentine's Day weekend. That was, that was, the, that was the dinner we were at. It was. In Iceland, celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Left Green Party, which is the party of Katrin Jakobsdottir, who is the Prime Minister. I was invited to their 20th anniversary bash, not to provide any Icelandic singing, but to uh, a sort of seminar about climate change and inequality with a few people from the UK, someone from the Faroe Islands, and basically Katrin as, herself. As, as soon as I heard Ed was going to Iceland, I said, I, th- I think we should record a special Icelandic episode. And I basically I, gate-crashed as well. Well, I'm really glad you came. So this week... As an excuse for me to go to Iceland, really. Reasons to be Icelandic. Exactly. It's very interesting country. Gender equality, number yes. one in the world. Yeah, and we looked a lot at that, didn't we? We talked to Katrin Jakobsdottir, the Prime Minister, about that. We talked to the leader of the trade union movement about that as well, because there was a big women's strike in the 1970s, which in a way sort of set the whole thing off and set Iceland on this path towards gender equality. And and very interesting country in the way that they recovered from the economic crash, because they, they were really one of the countries that were the most affected. Uh, so there's been lots of interesting political movement there in the aftermath of that. Uh, lots of strange political parties springing up. Yeah, and we'll be talking to one of the people who was ended up in government, wasn't he? He was a punk, a punk rocker. Um, now a bookseller, and in between, he was a minister for health. Yeah, and if you, you see him, he looks like he runs a hipster club night. He does. And he was briefly... Even the... more than I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're talking about a really interesting experiment, which in a way we stumbled upon, didn't we? Which was the six-hour day uh, and shorter working, which we've sort of done a little bit of... On, on the, the four-day week. On the yeah. four-day week on the podcast before, but we're talking about talking to somebody who's actually doing it in practice, uh, as well as somebody who's in the city council in Reykjavik and encouraging it. And do you remember last year we 
talked to Katrin, the Prime Minister of Iceland, on the podcast on the phone. Yes. Uh, and, and one of the things that came up was about the... It was, in, it was at the end of a very long episode, <laughs> so some people might not have it was in our sort of longer days. <laughs> it was, but we, we started talking about the, the uh, interest or the belief that a lot of Icelandic people have in, um, in the mythology and folklore. The hidden people. And the hidden people and the elves yeah. and the trolls. Yeah. Uh, so we managed to find somebody to talk about that as well. I mean, yeah. it's just all fascinating. We hope you enjoy it. And we got to go out on an excursion. Oh, fantastic it's, excursion. It's, it's an incredible country because they, they were hit so hard after the crash. And basically what has saved their economy is tourism. They're a country of about 350, 370,000 people, and they get over 2 million visitors a year. Which is extraordinary. It is. And, but, it, you know, you can see why. We went out on this excursion. We saw where the continental European plate meets the continental American plate. We saw geezers... You're very proud of a little video you took of geezers. Honestly, my my uh, my geezer video got at least twelve likes. Congratulations! <laughs> uh, my children were really impressed by by my geezer video. And we we took our first bath together. Indeed, in the what, what do they call them? The geothermal pools. Geothermal pools. It's pretty steamy. It is pretty steamy because of the geothermal heating and yeah. so on. So I thought we could pick. Uh, one each, a reason to be cheerful uh, from the, the fantastic trip we took to Iceland. Something we saw, something we Fine. learned. What's yours? Uh, I think mine would be we went, to, <laughs> we went to the second largest tomato greenhouse in Iceland. Yeah. And I had the greatest tomato soup I've ever tasted. I've always assumed that if I was going to taste the tomato of my life, it would be I'd go on holiday to Tuscany or somewhere in the summer. Yeah. But, I mean, it was something else, wasn't it? It was. And, and they... I'm not sure how environmentally friendly this bit is, but they import bees, don't they? Yes. From... Uh, I think they said from Holland. Yes, they import uh, bees from Holland. And yeah, then they for, said... For six to eight weeks. And they said the bees are with us to sit for six to eight weeks. So and I was then, very like, sweetly said, so what happens to the bees after, after the eight weeks? They die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a circle of it life. Was slightly Santa Claus, of life. It was a slight Santa Claus moment. Very good tomato soup, though. Can I tell you my reason to be cheerful, which is that we're driving along in the Icelandic countryside, and there are all and there are these quite isolated houses. And Hatler, Hatler Gunnar's Dottier, who was our fantastic person guide, the, the best. I mean, person really looked she also yeah. leads the work on domestic violence in Iceland, uh, but she was incredibly good to us. Um, she pointed out these houses and said, of course, they're owned by the trade unions. And I said, sorry. And she said, well, they're owned by the trade unions and they're basically free to use for members of the trade unions or, or sort of very, Heavily very low, very yeah. low rent. So that, you know, people from whatever part of the population they come from can have nice holidays in Iceland. Isn't that, great? Isn't that absolutely fantastic? Yeah. Another reason to be Icelandic. Absolutely. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Our guide for our stay in Reykjavik is Hatla Gunnarsdottir, who uh, is an advisor to the government and also is showing, uh, showing me and Ed the sights. I'm yep. in the back seat, of course. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you complaining about that? No, no, I'm okay. like a child. <laughs> uh, well, speak, speaking of children, uh, you were just telling us uh, some in, in, an interesting fact about the, the crash... Look at that view. Ed, oh. I'm trying to ask Hatler about the financial crisis and being the effect on children. Can you tell us a bit more about Look that, at that view. Come on, that view. It is, is a spectacular view. It's a spectacular city. Everybody should come here. This is radio. People don't see the view, you know? Yeah. We were talking just before we switched the microphone on about the financial crisis, and you were saying that had a su- surprising effect on people. Yeah, so I think before the crisis, uh, I mean, there was a massive boom. And uh, I think a lot of people felt like they were missing out on something because uh, there was so much happening. And interestingly, after the crash, uh, it was reported that children were happier, so they felt better. So interesting. And have they looked into the reasons why that might be? No, but I have a lot of theories on it. <laughs> no, but I, I think, I mean, uh, it's it's kind of hard to analyse reasons why children are better off, especially when it doesn't go hand in hand kind of with the economy. Uh, but I think after the crash, there was a lot of like, now we all have to stick together, we're in this together, this is a mess we have to, you know, go out of it as a nation. I think children had more time with their parents, uh, so, I mean, partly due to unemployment, which is not great, but this, and but also shorter work hours, so, uh, so there wasn't the same kind of rush uh, and we became a community again. Yeah, I mean, we're not recommending 
not crashes. Much... <laughs> per <laughs> well, se. I don't know. It, it was kind of a relief, though. I mean, I, I, I mean, it was. Everybody sensed there was something mad about it. Hatley, you're you're leading uh, work the government's doing on domestic violence at the moment. Now, I guess if we think of Iceland as this gender equal place compared to other countries, it's surprising in a way that that would be that much of a problem here. Yeah, it's um, it's really sad that no country has managed to crack the code uh, and eliminate violence against women and girls. Uh, but I think, in this sense, um, progress is maybe an open debate about it. Uh, and they do this every once in a while. They try to kind of compare rates of violence against women across countries, and it's almost impossible because the more you talk about it, the more more women report it, and the more they understand their experiences as a part of like some structural issue and I mean I think some of the interesting stuff we're doing here is that we're trying to kind of review the justice system and think about what does justice mean to women who have been victimised by male violence and what do better versions of justice look like I mean are you going to revolutionise the uh, justice system and throw it out and bring in something new which a lot of feminists would love to do uh, or are you going to try to work with the system that we have and make it better uh, and I think you have to. I think you have to work with it and try to make it better. And then you have some significant changes uh, that that at least will enable people to um, use the justice system and not return from it. Uh, like no matter what the how the case is concluded, but there's a lot of people who can return from it even a little bit more traumatized than they entered it. Yeah. So we're looking into like how can we at least ensure that if you. If you um, take your case forward, that you don't come out of that system uh, feeling worse than you did when you entered it. I was going to say, we were talking about victims' lawyers last night. I think it sounds like a great idea. Can you just explain briefly what the victims' lawyers So it's basically, is? if you, um, uh, you want to take your case forward, you get appointed the lawyer who's kind of your right hand throughout the, throughout the entire process. So the lawyer will advise you on what the process what's happening it will help you guarantee your rights in uh, in the process and in the uk you don't i don't think you have anything like that right. uh, so here we're looking at strengthening that system we're looking at giving victims because um, victims are witnesses in their own cases because uh, the case is between kind of the government and the perpetrator so we're looking at uh, ways to strengthen the victim's status so that they have kind of more ownership in the process which is really important when you're looking at, especially if you look at sexual violence, where kind of your autonomy is, you know, taken away from you quite suddenly. Uh, and then if you have a system that does the same, uh, then just the process through the justice system is unjust. So we're, we're trying to change that. I think we need to go in and uh, yeah. you have someone uh, a someone little bit more, more important than me. I don't know about more important, <laughs> maybe more high profile. Important in a different way. <laughs> So here we are with Katrín Jakobsdóttir, the Prime Minister. Prime Minister, thank you so much for welcoming us to Iceland. Thank you, and you are very welcome. It was a real pleasure to have you here. I, I think I could pass as Icelandic. Yes, you could. You know, you're Something a red of beard. Red maybe. beard. Yes, it's uh, the Celtic. You know, we are partly Celtic in Iceland, partly Norse, partly Celtic. So yes, you could pass as an Icelander. One of your colleagues was showing me this computer program that everybody in Iceland can, can log on to, where you can look at your family tree going back a thousand years and you can see how closely you are related to yourself or Björk or Magnus Magnusson. It's really quite wonderful. Yes, you know, most of us are quite related and it's quite uncommon that, you know, we used to say you're more, we're all related in the sixth, if you know what I mean. So six... Six degrees of separation, yes, like... six generations. Yeah. It takes six generations. Now it's maybe like seven generations and then we're all related. And you're celebrating your 20th anniversary of your party and we were just remarking that there's something sort of unusual happened, which is you've been presented with flowers from lots of the other parties. Yes, this is like Labour celebrating an anniversary and David Cameron and Nick Clegg and... What, you're saying they never brought you flowers? They never brought me flowers. That's my from big that rose beef. garden. That's my big beef, David Cameron. Yeah, they never uh, brought... Uh, that's, uh, but that's, that's pretty uh, amazing, isn't it? Well, actually, I think it is very unusual. We got flowers from the Conservatives, the Social Democrats, the Centre Party, the Pirates, yeah. the... the 
the right the other right wing party in Iceland, which is called Reform. So it did, did anyone not give you flowers? Yes, <laughs> you've got them on a list. <laughs> we have a list over them too. So, but it's unusual. That, does that tell us something about the Icelandic political culture? This sort of friendly political culture. I don't know if it's you. If, I don't think you can call it friendly because right. it's it's all also very you know confrontational uh, a, a little bit more confrontational than the rest of Scandinavia I should think after having you know visited yeah. all of Scandinavia and watched the politics it's, it reminds me more sometimes of politics in the UK right. isn't it the oldest parliament it was established in 930 then at think wow. it, which is not you know which was uh, it's quite a, a, a it's a sacred place for Iceland, Thingvellir, because that's where Parliament was founded. But then, of course, we went under the re- regime of the Norse king, then under the Danish king, and became independent in 1918. And then we had our Parliament. Well, we're incredibly pleased to be here and very admiring of what many of the things that you're um, doing. I guess the one one of the things that we're particularly admiring of, and I think we talked about this last time, is the commitment to gender equality. I mean, just explain for our British audience what the key components of that are, which puts you number one in the World Economic Forum sort of gender equality index. Yes, probably, probably the reason for us being number one is that every time we see that list, we say, why is that happening? Because we never... We never cease to fight for more gender equality, and we haven't reached the status that we can call Iceland a paradise for gender equality, but we're doing some things right. And I think, uh, you know, I was born in 1976, so the year before that we had a, a famous women's strike in Iceland. Women walked out from their workplaces, uh, I think it was around 2 p.m., and they said, we're not getting paid, you know, for more work, so we're just going to leave our offices now. And it was a huge event. Uh, everybody participated. Uh, in the years after that, we had a, a women's all women's party uh, running both for local communities and for parliament, and that changed everything in the other parties. So we have like a, a forty years of history of women really campaigning in Iceland, still campaigning for women's rights, making enormous systematic changes that have actually made it possible, for example, for me to be in politics. You wouldn't have been in politics without the universal childcare and the paid paternity leave and maternity leave, yeah? I think, yes. I have three sons. I wouldn't have wanted to have to choose between having children and being a politician. And you would have to choose, you know, maybe you could do this if you were a very privileged person with a lot of people you could hire to do this for you, but I'm not. So without universal childcare, and you know, all my sons have gone to the kindergarten at uh, the age of 18 months or so, and the uh, shared maternity and paternal leave. Uh, so me and my husband have actually shared the responsibilities for having those children. I wouldn't be here, definitely not. And does that leave thing plus the childcare, does that affect culture in the workplace, would you say? Yes, I think so, because uh, we have a very high participation in the labor market of women this is one of the things that puts us on top of this list because it's the around the highest in the world i'm not sure whether we're number one or two there so and it's also very good for economy and it's also very good for uh, workplaces in iceland to have men and women around the table and female leadership yeah in, in politics and in many places but not Maybe, and that's the problem. Yes, we have women leading the big banks in Iceland, but not too many CEOs. Both of these banks are owned by the state now, which is maybe a, maybe a, a clue because we don't have many female CEOs. Are there any quotas in place for executive boards? Yes, we implement gender quotas in uh, boards of companies over 25 people. So they have to have women and men around the table. It was heavily opposed and very criticised. Did now, that come from your party? Yes, it came the last time we were in government. It was implemented the last what time we were in government. What proportion is it women? Well, it's, it, has, you know, the, the, it has to be 40-60 for, right. yeah, no. for either gender. Yeah. Okay. So, but it was heavily opposed. But now I hear a lot of guys who, who even opposed it at the time saying, you know, it has really changed everything for the better because it changes how, the way we talk. And I think 
they are seeing the advantages of it. But we still haven't, you know, many CEOs, as I mentioned. So still, we have a fight to win there. How do you fix that? I thought, actually, that gender quotas on boards would do something about that. But I think that maybe we will think of some new solutions also to have more CEOs. What, what, what are the next frontiers in the fight for gender equality in Iceland? Well, the big projects we're taking on now is actually the project on how we can eradicate gender-based violence, gender-based harassment. That's really the big project now. And that's one of the key elements in this government's manifesto, how we can actually do this, because it's not just a, a judicial project. It's also about education. It's about health. It's about the social system, how we can eradicate this. And this isn't measured, for example, on the World Economic Forum list, gender-based violence, but it's a problem in Iceland. And gender-based uh, harassment is also a problem, as we saw in the Me Too I mean, it's interesting that you can have a woman prime minister, women on boards, 50-50 cabinet is women, yes? Yes, yes. Uh, and still, it doesn't solve these issues. No, but maybe because this is one of the most deeper rooted yeah. inequalities that you can find. Because somehow we're all part of this gender system. Uh, we're all part of it somehow, being man or woman or, or somewhere in between. So it's it's something that we all have to define us, uh, this system so i think but of course we're seeing changes and they are going in the right moving in the right direction and you know i have three sons as i mentioned and they often are like this is so sexist so they are very That's conscious great. about uh that you know this is a sexist society and it's maybe it's just because of me i don't know i don't think so they tell me that a lot of the kids their age talk about this at school can we ask you about some of the uh, environmental stuff you were talking about when you were on stage with Ed earlier on, the, the carbon neutral policy, for example? Well, I'm very happy about that. That is actually a part of the government's manifesto. Carbon I neutral by 2040, yeah? Yes. And this was something that nobody had heard about in 2015 in Iceland, when this was actually a proposal from the left Greens, and everybody were like, carbon neutral? What is that? So, so I'm, you know, this has progressed really fast. And we have actually now put forward an action plan how we can decrease greenhouse gas emissions and bind more carbon because we won't succeed in achieving this goal you know, without doing both. And we can do it, for example, by restoring wetlands, uh, growing more forests. We are actually pumping carbon into the soil, creating rock. We are doing an experiment in that in one of our geothermal uh, plants here close to Reykjavik. So it's, a, it's something that I sense a really a changed mindset in Iceland when it comes to climate change that people really want to participate and make a difference. Do you ever get the sense a country like Iceland can almost be a test kitchen for, for other countries? So it's a small country, but it's big enough to be able to experiment with things at scale. Yes, because you're so small, everything ha can happen quite fast. So It's not like uh, turning around a super tanker. Your colleague from the Faroe Islands yeah. said earlier on, it's, I thought it was quite a good way of putting it. It's, it's, speed boat, it's, a, speed, not, it's a speed boat, not a super tanker. Yeah, you can really do things very quickly here. And as I mentioned, the manifesto about the carbon neutrality, to sense this feeling that everybody's on board. And I'm, we're actually also creating, co you know... Uh, a scene where all the companies are going to participate how they can actually become carbon neutral so it's a because we are so small things happen very fast what do you think we learn about political change for example on the gender issue about you know you, you mentioned when you were born which was around the time of the women's strike yeah. and there's been this transformation mm-hmm is it leadership? Is it going with the grain? Is it, was it the struggle? I think that it's the fact that it's solidarity. It's not just leadership or individuals. It's solidarity. And you mentioned earlier that we've had visits here from other parties. And one of the things that have made the women's movement in Iceland remarkable is the fact that it has united women from very different parties that don't agree on a lot of things, but agree on some things, uh, and not least when it comes to gender equality. 
It's a cross-party so buy-in. Yeah, that has really happened here in, when it comes to gender equality. It's the solidarity of women that has made that possible. Of course, you know, individuals are important too, but they wouldn't be there. You know, I wouldn't be here without the solidarity of women that came before me. And what about the old T word? T? The trolls. Think we, we asked, asked you about you the trolls the last time. You, d- you denied elves. all knowledge the of the elves, the trolls, the little people, oh, the hidden the people. The and then we pressed you on the issue and you, you opened up. You don't have anything like that in the UK? No. Elves, trolls? We, the Loch Ness Monster is the, the trolls are all on Twitter, really, aren't yeah. they? Um, ah, yes, you asked me whether I had seen the elves or something like yeah. that last time. So if we want to Is it elves, not trolls? I think there's trolls, there's little people, oh. hidden yeah, people. everything. We have every sort. It's part of our culture, really. And... As you might have seen, I don't know if you've managed to leave Reykjavik, but we have a lot of beautiful stone formations that look a little bit like trolls. And the story goes that the trolls, they travel by night. And, but if they're outside when the sun rises, they turn to stone. Ah. Uh, that's why we have all those rock formations that really look like trolls. But if we really want to see some, Ed and I need to go out at 3.30 this morning, 4 o'clock this morning, to the to countryside. Trolls. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And okay. they are not very intelligent, the trolls. So that's why... Well, you've we, just lost the troll vote. Yeah. Yes, I'm, <laughs> I know. But they There's have, been a swing they, away. There's been a swing to the right they, the, among the trolls. Because they have all already turned to rocks because they never seem to remember this thing about the sun you know so it's it's you know but i really love trolls i know i used to study icelandic literature and the troll stories i really love them more than the stories about elves and little people because they are so immensely funny because the trolls are like they are always like the comic relief well, let's hear it for the trolls. Yes. Well, look, Katrina. I'm trying to get the troll world back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you're doing well. Katrina, it's, it's brilliant to have you. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, good luck. Thank you. And good luck to you. It's been a pleasure. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And to get a perspective on how much progress has been made in Iceland on gender equality, I'm delighted that we are now joined in an anteroom off the conference by Driva Schnidal, uh, who is the president of the Icelandic Labour Association. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The title of this episode of our podcast is Reasons to be Icelandic. I think maybe the place to start is in 1975, because there was a sort of famous event that happened in 1975, Hmm. which you were part of at a pretty young age. I was actually on the demonstration. I was two years old, and I was with my father because my mother, of course, had day off from childcare and was demonstrating there with her her friends, and uh, my father went 
to town with me and I have a picture published in the paper of me and my father then, two years old. Let's fast forward to today then. Uh, Iceland always does extremely well when we look at the international charts for gender equality. But you feel as if there's been some kind of a plateau? Yes, because we have actually become a bit of a victim of uh, this myth that we are uh, number one of all the lists. That's why we're here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've fallen victims to the myth. Yeah, yeah. But actually, if you dive into the index, you see that uh, the reason we are so uh, high in every scale is because we have had these strong leader women. We have had uh, okay uh, gender balance within the parliament. Uh, we have actually had a backlash in that. Um, but if you take, you know, education and health and, and so on, then we are after our neighboring nations as uh, Scandinavian nations. Are you still high up compared to non Nordic nations? Compared to us? Yes, 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 we are. We are. But of course. We're rather we- behind. In the uh, UK. I can imagine, yes. I mean, just to be clear, you have universal childcare from yeah. one and a half. You have three months uh, father's leave and mother's leave and another three months to be shared, and that's going up to 12. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the gender pay gap is how big? Well, uh, within the municipalities, it's not that big, but uh, within the private market, uh, it's about, you know, uh, Seven to fifteen percent. It's so less than the UK, about. but still significant. Yeah, yeah. And and if you think about the UK, you know, Iceland's ahead of us, but you would like it to go further. What lessons should we learn from the progress that you have made, albeit that you've got to make mm. further progress? In other words, you know, from the age of when you were two, when you went on that march, to today, where you know things have moved further ahead. What what lessons should we learn? Uh, public childcare. I think is number one. I mean, that is the thing that makes women uh, be able to go out on the labor market, participate, participate in politics, etc., um, and and have the the big scope. You know, um, tackling things as uh, is it acceptable that uh, people, men, can buy women's bodies? I mean, that is a fundamental question. Uh, and we actually have this law, as in Sweden, that uh, men that buy women are punished, not the other way around. But if I were a British politician, I think I would start with the childcare, because right. that is what have uh, gained us most progress. And your parental leave system is very interesting, because it is, as I said, men and uh, women both get leave, and it's funded in part by employers and part by government. Yeah, and we are actually now going forward with a demand of uh, the parental leave going from nine months to 12 months, and then we want to have uh, six plus six. So the the um, the parent who, who delivers the child gets six months, and the other parent gets uh, another six and months. That's use it total or lose equality. It. And that's use it or lose it. In other words, if the, the men would have to use the six months, they can't transfer it to their partner or wife. Exactly. Uh, and that and is, is that happening? That's that going to happen, that proposal? Hopefully. We are, we are putting forward that demand. Uh, and uh, I'm rather optimistic of progress. Just to be clear, and our British audience will be falling off their chairs at this point, this is paid at 80% of your earnings. This, this, this Yes, up to a certain limit. Up to a certain mm. limit. Um, so that's pretty generous. Before we let you go, how are things for trolls in the workplace? Not internet place? trolls. I hope they have a decent work environment as humans have. <laughs> you don't feel that you're representing the trolls necessarily. No, no. You're not. We'll champion the trolls. How ma- do you? But be- you don't believe in the trolls. Well, they have to form their own union, don't they? The union of trolls. But what about Maybe solidarity that's a job with the you. trolls? I, I, I take it it'd be the shop steward, general secretary of the trolls union. <laughs> I think. I think. I think we found your perfect role. Yeah, then they can apply to my association, and we will welcome them. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
All right, we're going to talk now about what is happening here in Iceland with the hours that people work. And we're going to speak to Elin Sigurdottir, uh, who is with the Reykjavik City Council, and DJ Magea. DJ Mager. Okay. Leave the Icelandic to me, Jeff. Oh, are you correcting me there? <laughs> yeah, thank exactly. You. All right. Uh, who, who runs a tech company. So thank you both for um, joining us. Maybe, Elin, uh, you can start by telling us uh, about how the idea started within the city council here yeah we have had a representative city council the left greens since 2006 and we are a feminist movement so this is one of our been one of our interests for a very long time so uh, as soon as we came to power so to speak in 2014 we joined a majority here in the city so we wanted to pass uh, to try to make a shorter work week for our workers so yeah, we started kind of a pilot project together. So, so what was it? What was a typical working week prior to that? We've had a forty-hour working week in Iceland uh, since nineteen seventy-one, and that's quite a long week by European yeah. standards. I think we in the UK work sort of similarly long hours. Yeah. And what are you trying to reduce it to? Our project uh, begin with a thirty-five-hour week, but we also have uh, a few ones doing thirty-seven and thirty-eight hours. So it's a little bit depending on. On the place. And what was the reaction like amongst managers when you suggested piloting this? Uh, the, the, the kind of way we framed it is that the places themselves had to ask us to join. So there had to be a positive yeah. from management and staff. And it was, uh, they had to find out how they wanted to implement this in their own workplace. So it was kind of a worker democracy oriented it was not us telling them how to do it it now they are telling us how we can do and it. lots have come forward yeah yeah and, and what kind of things have you learned through the pilot scheme i would never ever imagine how huge a difference two hours of work hours a week can make for a person's job satisfaction less stress and less I, I keep interest. saying this to Jeff but he just doesn't listen and, to me uh, I'm afraid you know and, he just uh, he's a pretty Victorian employer yeah, Jeff yeah and <laughs> and all the you know the work-life balance and of course it's a it's an issue here we have a lot of uh, we have very high um, work participation among women in Iceland and they share a majority of the uh, child care and uh, family responsibilities so of course it's also a equality matter and a feminist issue to have a shorter work week and, and productivity has remained yeah, high yeah it's equal productivity and uh, and uh, they didn't get any extra budget to make the week shorter no downside yeah of course we are having some troubles in our welfare sector and child care where obviously if you're going to do this for a very long time you're going to need to compensate because in 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 disabled people's homes, for example, you need to be on a 24-hour watch. So, of course, there's going to be some hiring, but you can do a lot of things with rescheduling work hours and, and think things through. So that's what we are doing now. Sounds great. So, DJ Margare, how was that any better? Can we just call him DJ. <laughs> DJ. <laughs> because I think you can... DJ M. I think your Icelandic is good enough for yeah. DJ, isn't it? <laughs> so, d- d- did you hear about the city trying this out and then think that's something we'd like to try at our company? No, actually not. Uh, it, was, uh, it was three years ago when we started our little experiment. Uh, we went actually from eight hours to six hours. And what type? What, what type of tech company? What do you uh, do? We are like a digital agency. We work with uh, design, coding, marketing. It's, and, and a typical uh, employee was working eight hours. Eight hours, yeah. yeah. And even more. Honestly, we were facing a little problem. We could see in our people, and when we looked at their posture, their body language, we could see it even in their eyes that after X amount of work every day. You could see they were gone. They were exhausted. They just switched off. Productivity went down after six, seven hours a day. So we thought something is wrong. We need to do something. Uh, So we thought, and maybe the key question here was, should we measure the quality of our work by the time we spent at the office? Or should we measure it by the quality of our products and services? Of course, the latter yeah. is the answer, is the correct answer. 
<coughs> so uh, this means we needed to we need needed to change the culture, uh, and that is never easy, especially when the culture is not aligned with uh, the rules that are set. Um, and we are taught also taught from a very young age here, in, especially here in Iceland, that you need to follow the rules or else you will be outcast. You need to work hard, work at least eight hours a day, and if you work longer, you're a hero. Right. And you are stronger, and et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, uh, you also need to be a hero at home. You need to be the perfect husband, be present for your kids, families and friends, and the list goes on and on. And... This is a puzzle which is really hard to solve. So we thought, instead of like uh, doing do like the normal company and the stock in, stock exchange does, like the priority priorities are number one profit, number two uh, customers, and number three employees. Why not try to think a little bit differently and change the priorities? My company is based upon selling labor by the hour. So if you do <laughs> just a basic math, this will mean that if we work less... Uh, we you have will, less hours to sell. We have less hours to sell, and that will uh, infect our revenue. But, and here's... I want to know the result yeah, now. I I'm know. This, is, this is like a Nordic noir. I want to know what the what what what's who done the, it? Who, what, what happens in the end? Did it did it work? This is where it gets super uh, interesting uh, because in our uh, business we have uh, like a few basic KPIs. Number one is productivity, key performance indicators. Yeah, yeah. and the increase during our, our experiment, which lasted for two years, was twenty three percent even though we put in less hours. Wow. This is a great number. And, that it, and this is a lot. And um, in our business, this is a number which is very easy to measure, as we normally sell, like I said before, the labor by the hour. Uh, the reason, I think, is because we show up at work with better concentration, we are more focused, we are rested, without stress, so we perform better than ever. Morale must be a lot higher. Yeah. Because people, feel, people feel this is a great place to work. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and this is something we measure as well, both uh, during interviews and also anonymously during uh, questionnaires or surveys. And, but what was also notable was that our employees, they did not call in sick as mm-hmm. much as they did before. Right. And that number was down by a staggering 44%. Seriously? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. amazing. I know. And, and that is huge in so many ways because uh, obviously that affects the productivity, that affects our profit. They are present more. They don't stay at home sick. But it also shows us that our employees must feel better and fitter, both mentally and physically, physically than before. So maybe this is probably our most important KPI. And what about you? As you're the boss of the company, what, are you doing the six hours, or are you still doing fifteen hours a day? <laughs> I try, I try, but uh, it's I'm, hard. It's hard, yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm trying. Are you more stressed as a result of your employees being uh, working no, less? No, actually, the company is doing better than ever. So I'm actually more calm than ever. Yeah. <laughs> and can I ask both of you, yeah. were, were you tempted with the other way of doing, doing it, which would be a four-day working week? Uh, yeah, we considered that. Uh, I don't think sure. that's a possibility for mm-hmm. a municipality because we have services. We have schools, childcare, service for elderly and uh, disabled persons and everything like that. So for some of, the, uh, for some of our uh, workplaces that may be could be a, a possibility, but not for all of them. And because our workplaces uh, are very unique, so we're trying to strengthen the, the culture of eat plates instead of uh, like making everything the same. And I think that is a little bit unique for a, for a city council, just to think that all of our um, 
workplaces are different. And, and DJ, you said you thought about the, the four-day week but decided not. What? So you've given up on the pronunciation as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a murder on the dance floor. You're DJ from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we definitely thought about it, but we as well, because we are also a service company, we need to be present on Fridays as well. Mm-hmm or which day we would not work. So, yeah, so we decided that uh, at least we, we start. We try and we see and measure and see how it goes. Now it's been three years, and I, I can tell you for sure that we're not going back. Yeah. And if you think about, I mean, if you look at, I mean, eight hours workdays, it's not a natural law. Mm-hmm. It's just something that it's a 200-year-old idea mm-hmm. from a Welshman uh, named uh, Robert Owen, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> He, he, he wanted to split the, split the day in three halves, mm. resting, working, and sleeping. It's not a natural law. Mm. And if you look even further back, uh, you look at uh, hunter-gatherer societies, like, and some, are, some even still exist, and they have been uh, researched quite a lot. It's quite easy to think that people in those tribes, they don't have enough. People should constantly be on the lookout for food, water, etc., et to, just to keep from starving. But the results from many examples show that uh, it was quite normal for, for people to only work for only 15 hours a week in those sort of situations. We'd quite like that, wouldn't we, Jeff? Definitely. I don't know that I'd be great at either hunting or gathering. John Maynard Keynes, I think, wrote this pamphlet, the famous economist called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. And in it was a 50, the idea of a 15-hour yeah. uh, working day in the 1930s. Yeah. Because this leads to a quite important question. So what's the point of all this creation of wealth, of wealth mm. if it doesn't make you happier? Mm. Yeah. I think we're converted, aren't we? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Don't Another, you think? Yet more reasons to be Icelandic. DJ, as you shall now be known. <laughs> and Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Eileen. Yeah, thank you. thank you. And I'm delighted to say... In our search for the hidden people, we're now joined by Christian Schramm, who is Associate Professor in Folkloric Studies at the University of Iceland. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's start, because we first got um, interested in the hidden people when we were talking to your Prime Minister a few months ago, actually. Tell us about the myth, or maybe it's not a myth, uh, the story of the hidden people in Iceland. The hidden people, or, or the elves, um, appear in uh, both oral and, and uh, literary traditions in Iceland. They can be traced even further back into the Eddic poetry of, of uh, the settlers uh, who came to Iceland um, in the 9th century. They are very common also in, in our folk tales and legends. So we're quite interested in sort of how people relate to them in the modern world because we seem to encounter a lot of seemingly modern people who say yeah i wouldn't say i believe in the hidden people and trolls but and then dot 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 and it it seems to me that nobody quite wants to outright say i'm not a believer in the hidden people what is the relationship of modern icelanders with 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 these people yes exactly and we've done research in folkloristics on on people's um, supernatural beliefs in general and uh, many people are are open to the idea of hidden people that may may have uh, stories in their uh, own family about um, gaining help from um, an elf lady during birth or or, um, receiving objects or having gone into an elf hill or, or, or something akin to this but I think the, the kind of litmus test is um, if a, a hidden woman, woman comes to your uh, dreams and, and tells you not to build your jacuzzi in the specific spot in the garden, uh, will you heed uh, her uh, terms or, or, or not? And I think... Uh, what, what would most Icelanders say about that? I think we'd probably move it, move it a, a meter or two, <laughs> just in just in case. Sure, why not? Jeffers, but you've had a long-standing interest yeah, in the I've hidden been people. In the hidden people for, for for years, for fifteen years or so, and it's about the relationship between the humans and the hidden people, and how do you keep that 
in, in, in balance or harmony. And I guess in some ways that's a metaphor be- uh, of the relationship between people and nature, right? I think there's a lot of truth to that, that uh, it's, it's about, in some ways, uh, respect of, of the power of nature to treat others the way you should you want to be treated yourself and to have some sort of honour in your, your relationship with your environment. They don't want you to move stones is a big thing with the hidden people, right? Uh, yes, exactly. And uh, even our road services have to some extent uh, taken notice of, of, of legends and, and, and dreams and, and uh, seers and um, the traditions of, of certain rocks and hills being populated by elves. Do you think that explains Crisper Grayling's behaviour, actually, the, <laughs> the hidden people? We have this transport secretary in the UK who's not very popular, yeah, uh, and he does very, some strange things. Maybe it's the hidden maybe people. Maybe those are his motives. He's trying to yeah. keep the hidden people happy. Yeah. Here's in a hypothetical. What if Ed tonight went into uh, a magical area that belongs to the hidden people, and he took a big stone? Maybe he wanted to have some things carved into it. Let's not go into that. But what, what would they do to him if, if he removed a stone? How would they punish him? I don't think you would have much of a political future if you were to do this, and uh, <laughs> you would definitely have to re- return them uh, on your next trip here. Kristin, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. And joining us now to help us finish off our quest to find cheerfulness and more reasons to be Icelandic, we're joined by Otta Propie. Uh, now, the reason I didn't describe you as one particular thing is you've had quite the career. Can you give us a, a potted history? I've been a bookseller for most of my life in one way or another, uh, but my identity is closer to the arts uh, as a, a punk singer, a singer of, of uh, in punk and rock bands. What are your bands called? Uh, Ham is my main band, Dr. Spock uh, was one, and Ras, which means bottom, was my punk band. Uh, I've, I've uh, taken part in the uh, Eurovision concert uh, in uh, 2014, I think. Where was that? In Copenhagen. Right. And uh, then I, I was waylaid into politics after the uh, crash of 2008, and uh, we formed the best party. Which now, what, what is it with Icelandic punk singers and politics? Because there's this guy, John Gnarr, who we've yes. heard of in the UK, who became mayor of Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. What, what is the link? Uh, well, I was part of his movement. Uh, the best party was his uh, brainchild of uh, basically uh, taking politics back away from the politicians a bit. He, he used to say the politicians messed up my life uh, with the uh, big crash, so now it's time for me to mess up theirs. So that was sort of the idea. And his story is he was also a punk singer and a comedian, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So was it a bunch of humorists and artists? What, what was the story? Yeah, I, uh, to be able to run, we had to put uh, forth a list of 30 names. And it was basically Jon and uh, the rest of us were friends of his, mostly artists. Uh, Did he ask you first? We don't know. <laughs> and you ended up in the government as Minister of Health. Yes, then a few years uh, later I ended up uh, in government uh, because the best party, our, our group, we, we, we were voted in. Yeah. We had this uh, awful week of uh, being locked inside the uh, city hall uh, in charge trying to figure out what to do. And of course uh, we... This is for a coalition government. We decided that uh, the prudent thing would be to well, take uh, responsibility for our actions, for, for having been... Uh, voted in and uh, and uh, doing things smartly and not not maybe as punks and eventually uh, we uh, formed or were part of forming a, a real uh, political party called Bright Future and I ended up in parliament and as uh, as a leader as part of a coalition government for actually a short time. And how was that experience of being Minister for Health from punk to Minister of Health? I mean, that is quite a transition. It's quite a transition. Uh, actually, I think it's very useful to get punks yeah. uh, in, uh, in these situations every once in a while. Really? I think so. Uh, uh, Maybe I should become a punk. Yeah. Uh, I, should, I should go the other way. <laughs> actually, I think it's, it's very healthy for people to go back yeah. and forth. All of these systems are so uh, uh, regulated, they're so big, and they have a tendency of trying to uh, well, uh, save themselves or, or perpetuate their, uh, their existence. So you talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the origins of the best party, which came mm. before the party you're in government with. So what, one of their original pledges was to not honour any of its 
um, yes. uh, any of its uh, election pledges. Yes, we promised to break all our promises. <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, uh, four years later, when we uh, decided not to, to run again, we were uh, said by some of our opponents that we had actually broken this promise because we hadn't actually broken all of our promises. Um, wasn't, wasn't one of your promises to do with swimming pools? Uh, yes, it, it was to, uh, to have free towels at the swimming pools. That's a very popular promise. Actually, yes, very much. And, uh, and also we promised uh, a polar bear in the uh, local petting zoo. <laughs> uh, and we, we won the election, so I think uh, it resonated. But actually nobody was very pissed off that we didn't. You had cover, but you said you were going to break all your promises. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> because this is right after the, uh, the crash of 2008, where basically uh, trust in the Icelandic society was uh, decimated overnight. And uh, people especially lost a lot of trust in, uh, in their leaders and in politics. So what we were thinking, and like I say, our backgrounds were mostly from the arts, was that this was a very dangerous situation, a situation where you could get some sort of demagogues or, or uh, populist risings. We didn't think we'd end up in City Hall, but we wanted to, to uh, influence the discussion at least. And uh, it was some of the scariest stuff that I've have ever lived through was, uh, you know, becoming a politician. And Scary in what sense? The responsibility or just uh, yeah, the way? The, re- yeah. the responsibility. And so maybe it made you more sympathetic to politicians? In many ways, yes. As a punk singer, you might be, uh, you, people will throw things at you and beat you up or so, but uh, that's part of, that goes with it. But in politics, uh, you, you're actually responsible for, for doing things, you're responsible for knowing what you're doing. Because we decided to be very responsible once we were in there and do our very best, it was a a very uh, humbling experience, I think. And did anybody say to you, oh, you've just become like the other politicians? Oh, yeah, of course. And I felt, especially by the end, once I'd been also in Parliament and been, well, a professional politician for eight years, I felt myself that I was becoming something different from what I had been before. Right. And uh, that, was a, that was scary also. Otar, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to be Cheerful Podcast. Now we're at that point where, sadly, we have to go. And Jeff is heading to the airport. He's a very nervous flyer, so he's... No, I'm not a nervous he's... flyer. What I am is a punctual person. So he... Ed is one of these people who holds a whole flight this is the, this... he can't manage his time. This is the outro. <laughs> All right, we've we've heard enough of that. We've heard enough of that. I've been trying to <laughs> trying to paint a picture, of, uh, which I think is a true picture. Well, I think we always. This... I just wanted it wasn't all romantic bliss. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, they often say a big test of a relationship is if you can survive your first little holiday together. Yeah, we we more or less did until that end bit. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of annoyed that you were going so early to the airport. We were going to miss out on the guest. Uh, you know, whereas I just wanted to catch my train. You just wanted to get. Sorry, you just, just wanted to I, get away from me. No, never, just never. The, that's what you did. I loved our trip to Iceland, and uh, if if you have a country, <laughs> yeah, if you if you are the head of a country, big or small, and you think with there are reasons to be cheerful, it could be you. Yes, reasons to be. Mm. Yeah, I'm still angling for reasons to be Swedish. I think we could be... Uh, up <laughs> you rang the Swedish embassy and they said you they weren't interested. Yeah, no, I rang... Um, <laughs> this is a true story. I, I got in touch with whoever was responsible for promoting Swedish tourism <laughs> in the UK. And I just sent um, an email back saying, uh, Dear George, this is not something we're interested <laughs> in. <laughs> Which really got my back up. Your fame so, travels yeah, far and yeah. wide. So I just emailed back, it's Jeff, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, look, let's do a particular thanks to Katrin Jacobs.ir and Hatla Gunnars.ir. It is a handy system in case you forget someone's surname having the son or dot here at the end of every... Although you've got to know their dad's name. But isn't it That's rather patriarchal? Trick. 
It is a bit patriarchal, yeah. I don't think you should be defending it. I don't think you should be slagging off Iceland after they were such gracious hosts. Well, I don't think it's for slagging off, but I think... Uh, well, that sounded a bit like one to me. No. Uh, right, let's get to the let's get to the credits. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Emma Corsham produced our podcast, Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made the iDents and Ed Seed composed the music. Emily uh, Power. Emily Power. Did our artwork. I think her dad is called Jeff. She'd be Emily Jeffson mm. in Iceland. He's been the geezer, Jeff. Jeffson. He's been a hidden person, Ed Ralphson. And these have been Reasons to be Icelandic. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.